again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. This is episode 117. I'm Art Regner, and as always, the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. Whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, when the day is over, your workday, what better way to relax with a nice, ice-cold, frothy Labatt Blue? Remember, it is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, but we do ask that you drink our premium beer responsibly with that said no stranger to this program and i think at this point he does hold the record for most appearances on the red and white authority <laughs> it is it is the director of scouting for tsn former uh, general manager head of scouting for nhl teams calgary dallas you name it he is the man that is plugged in i call him you know the i'm going to paraphrase they always say the work the busiest the 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 busiest man in show business. He is the busiest man in all of hockey. It is Craig Button. Craig, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Oh, Art, it's always my pleasure. And uh, you know what? What we got to start doing is is recording the the first twenty minutes of our of our conversations because all we do is just talk about Michigan football and we talk about uh, the current state of Michigan football, where they're headed. We talk about the history, and uh, it's so much fun. You know. My 12 years in Ann Arbor were absolutely wonderful. 97 national championship, the hockey teams winning, the basketball team, the Fab Five, you know. So I have such great, great memories and fondness of my time in Ann Arbor. And every time we get connected, uh, you know, that's our first 20 minutes. So we're, we're going to have to just have a like kind of the, uh, you know, that offbeat conversation where everybody can listen to us talk. Right. Well, you know, I remember when, I don't know, a couple of years ago now where we, you know, we started talking and we just got talking and I didn't hit record. And we had this very in-depth conversation about Tom Brady, which we should have made into a podcast. There was no doubt about that. But uh, it, it, well, it's always great. You know, obviously, uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people here in Michigan were, were uh, pleasantly surprised by the season the Wolverines put together. And hopefully they... Uh, they can build upon it, and uh, if we have time here at the end, we'll definitely get into it. But uh, Craig, let's um, let's start first of all. I think all hockey fans, because COVID was starting to wreak a little havoc on the NHL, we're looking forward to the World Junior Championship in Red Deer and in Edmonton this year uh, to see if Team USA could defend their title. Uh, and you know, Team Canada looked stacked and loaded. Uh, but it was canceled. How much of an impact does that have on you as the director of scouting? Because I would imagine for the draft eligible kids, you were really, really looking forward to this tournament. No, there's no question. I, I, I think, Art, that everybody looks forward to the tournament. It's, it's at a time of the year where, you know, the NHL season is settling in. Uh, there's an excitement about, uh, about a best-on-best best tournament with these young, young stars. And, and, and what, what is the future of the National Hockey League? Which, which I think everybody, I don't know, what, what an opportunity to get a glimpse. You know, they, they've watched their team play and now they get to watch the future. And, you know, and, and that's exciting all in and of, of, of itself for, for, for the fans. You know, for myself, I, I'm fortunate in that I get to see a lot of these players play for a long period of time. And, you know, e e even though, there was only a, a, a few games. You, you still got to, you know, add a little bit more to the uh, to the to the data bank, to the dossier that you're trying to build on the players. So that always helps. And 
would you like more? Yeah, everybody would like more. The scouts would like more. The fans would like more. I would like more. But there's value in every time you go to watch a player play. And certainly when you're watching a tournament that brings, uh, you know, the best in in, in this age group, U20 together, and they compete – it gives you some really, it gives you some really good uh, intel on the players, and then you just keep watching. You know, you think about. I was in Gatineau in November. Mm-hmm. And it was right after the uh, they'd had a they'd had a U twenty tournament. Uh, you know, prepping for the World Junior tournament. I saw Chris Draper in Gatineau, and we we just got talking. I said to him, I said, I said, you know what Stanley Cup winning teams look like. You've been part of them. You know what they smell like. You know what they feel like. I said, you have Simon Edmondson and Moritz Sider to set you up for the next 12, 15 years. And this big smile comes across his face. He goes, yeah, it's not bad, is it? I go, yeah, you know it's not bad. It's better than not bad. That's how you build championship teams. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, we can jump around, but I, I, I really want to uh, focus in just on uh, one player, uh, and it's not Shane Wright, believe it or not, uh, but the 16-year-old, Connor Bedard, I had my friend say, have you ever, if you look at the stats on that guy, he's a shrimp. He's, I go, he's 16 years old. I mean, give me a break. And he's, he's completely gifted, not taking anything away from Shane Wright, who seems to be the definitive pick for this year's draft. But Connor Bedard, were you impressed by what you saw in his two games, four goals and a blowout of Austria, eleven to two by Team Canada, he was a plus four. Uh, you know, five total points. Uh, were and not many sixteen-year-olds make an impact in this tournament, as we know. Very few. Uh, let me just tell you this: very few nineteen-year-olds make an impact in this tournament. Sixteen-year-olds, <laughs> it, it 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 just doesn't happen, right? And 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 that's just the way. That's just the way it goes, right? So when you start to look, when you start to look at a player like Connor Bedard, and, I, and I'm going to get into a little bit of a, of a story about him, people say, oh, I scored four goals against Austria. Yeah, I know. I know who the opponent was. We all do. Why didn't everybody else score four goals against Austria? Right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. Because, because you're, we're talking about a unique talent here. That, that, that's what we're talking about. And we're talking about somebody that understands uh, – uh, you know, the, the game. He, he's got a maturity on the ice that is far beyond his birth certificate. He, he, he is such a smart player. He is such a uh, such an astute player. And, and with respect to, he understands what the opponents are trying to do to him to stop him, and he can adjust on the fly. He is so good with respect to uh, being able to understand this is what I got to do. This is what you're trying to do to me. And because he's got the big time uh, ability, he, he, he can make those things happen in, in, in so many different ways. Uh, I can only tell you this. You, you have a young player that is able to uh, excel. He's got the spotlight on him. When you, when, you're, when you come in as an exceptional status player, 15 years of age, and there's already a, a bright spotlight. There's already expectations on you, high expectations. But at the end of the day, he, he, he continues to shine under that spotlight. He continues to, to exceed the already high expectations. He, he's that good. He is, he is, he is such a, such a uh, gifted, talented, thinking player 
that there's no reason to believe that he's not going to be uh, a star in the NHL. Well, you know, Craig, and I don't want to compare uh, like draft picks, but I go back to when McDavid and Austin Matthews came in, and we obviously talked about that, uh, uh, that these were generational players. To have two come back-to-back or so close together, you're just not going to see that. Are we, though, is Shane Wright and Connor Bedard, could they kind of fall into that uh, that category? Or am I, uh, uh, you know, wishful thinking on my part? Uh, here's what I would say. You know, I've gone through this over the last little while and talking about this. I can tell you this, is that when you look at players, you know, not all first overall picks are created equal. Right. They're, they're not. There's a difference between McDavid as opposed to uh, uh, Sidney Crosby, as opposed to Austin Matthews, as opposed to Nico Hischer. Right. So when I look at uh, Shane Wright, I don't, I don't think he's a superstar. You know, and everybody thinks, oh, first overall, he's got to, no, I don't think he's a superstar. I think he's got, I think he's got the capability to be a, a really strong, contributing, valuable player to a team like Patrice Bergeron. Does anybody call Patrice Bergeron a superstar? No, never. And they're never going to. Patrice Bergeron, in my view, is a Hall of Fame player. Right. There's lots of Hall of Fame players. That, that, in fact, let me go one step further. There's not. There's more star players and really, really top-notch players that are in the Hall of Fame than superstar players. The superstars are in there. We know that. You know, you know, Crosby's in the Hall of Fame. Ovechkin's in the Hall of Fame. But McKinnon, does he have a chance to be in the Hall of Fame? Time will tell. Do I think McDavid will be in the Hall of Fame? Absolutely. Will Nicky Hischier be in the Hall of Fame? I don't think so. Right. So you better be realistic about what a draft is. And so you start to go, okay, does this player have superstar ability? Does he have star ability? Does he have impact ability? What's his value? Where does he fit in? I, I, so I see Shane Wright like Patrice Bergeron. Now, what I will say to you is, when I first started watching Connor Bedard a couple of years ago, you know, you could see some of the similarities and this is going to dovetail perfectly into this <laughs> into this uh, episode to Steve Eiserman at the same age. Whoa. Okay. Like, not 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 real big, skilled, quick, fast, understands the game. And, but that's where you're starting, right? You're going, okay, could he be like this? The more I have watched Connor Bedard, the more confident I am into the Steve Eiserman comparison. And let's not forget, let's not forget. And I'll tell you this. This is a true story. Jimmy Devolano tells the story, right? You know, that 1983 draft, they were all talking about, you know, how the draft, Pat LaFontaine, the local kid, he goes three to the Islanders, and they go, well, I guess we're going to have to take the little guy from Peterborough. (laughs) Oh, the little guy from Peterborough, eh? (laughs) Like, you know, know, like, like, no, but like, seriously, like, I mean, that's a true story. That's a true story. Okay, so, you know, like, they, they really like Steve Eisenberg. Make no mistake about it. It's just, it's, it's just a comment about it, right? So when I hear about, oh, he might not be the biggest guy, like, I don't care. I've watched the game, and I can look at the, at the roster and go, oh, Connor Bedard, five foot nine and a quarter. Yeah, I, I see what he is. But when I watch the game, size doesn't even come into it. I just look, wow, look at that brilliant move. Look at that play. Look at how he handles that challenge. Look at how he makes, uh, you know, solves that problem in that situation. Steve Eisenman was, 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 was one of the great players of his era. And he started in at 18 years of age and the confidence, the hockey sense, the, the skill, 
and as he got stronger and as he physically matured, he only got that much better. That, that's what I see in Connor Bedard. So well, that's... now we're talking about Shane Wright, Patrice Bergeron, and we're talking about Connor Bedard. That I see a lot of similarities in style of game and type of player to Steve Eisman. Hey, listen, if he comes anywhere close to Steve Eisman, we're talking about a, a, a great player. Right. But I'm just talking about type of player and where I see him now, and that's what the, 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 that's where you got to differentiate. So the first overall pick. They're not all the same. You know, Alexi Lafreniere is not the same as Nico Hischer, who's not the same as Rasmus Dowling, who's not the same as Connor Bedard. But everybody wants to put, oh, first overall, just understand what you're getting. Right. I mean, well, you you know, I, I love the way that you always put it in a perspective that we can all understand. And it, and it makes perfect sense. With that said, I'm kind of curious. I think I read, I think it was attributed uh, an article that I was reading uh, about this upcoming draft where it may be more wide open, although, again, as usual, it seems to be forward heavy early on, is that because of the way last year was impacted by COVID, not that it hasn't had its impact this year either, that there's kind of, I don't know if it's diamonds in the rough or people, kids are coming out of the woodwork that maybe you weren't as familiar with because you didn't see them play much last year that, you know, Craigslist could really change significantly from now until draft. Absolutely, Art, and it, and it has to. There's a lot of players that, that didn't get the opportunity to play. They're like number one. So mm-hmm. if you don't have the opportunity to play, and now you combine it with you know, the restrictions on people, uh, you know, not being able to go and watch. Players not playing don't give you an opportunity to watch. So, again, when I talk about the World Junior and you, you get an opportunity to watch players a couple of games, hey, it just adds to it. And, and if that's all you have, then that's where you got to make your assessments on and, and base it on. But understanding that players hadn't played or hadn't played a lot and understanding that there, there's a lot of development – Think about Mason McTavish, and Mm -hmm. I'm just going to use Mason McTavish as an example. His season got shut down in March of 2020. Okay, so he's a young player. He's a 16-year-old playing in Peterborough. So he gets shut down. He doesn't play. There's no play in the the summer. He goes over and plays a handful of games over in, in Switzerland. Handful. Comes back, plays at the U18 tournament in Dallas. Was terrific. And, you know, ends up being the third overall pick. Starts starts in the NHL with the uh, Anaheim Ducks. You know, gets his nine games, goes back to Peterborough. Go back and, and then he plays two games in the World Junior Tournament. If you add up the games that, that Mason McTavish has played from March of 2020 until today, right? Mm-hmm. You, you, you don't have you, – you, you might have two dozen games. Two dozen games in almost two years. Wow. And – you don't think that there's, the, 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 you know, there's going to be a, a gap and what you're trying to pick up in terms of watching and everything. And you're watching a terrific young player. And the reason I bring up Mason is because think about all the other players that, might, that, that need a little bit more time, that aren't as developed, that are trying to find their way and, and, and are not having the opportunity. So you have to be really wide open. And, and, and one of the things that I said, you know, it was an error on my part. It was a mistake. You know, before the season started, I said, oh, why don't I put out a top 32 
and, you know, get ahead of it, right? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't fair to the players. It wasn't fair to the process because I put out 32 players. And then once I had an opportunity to start watching a lot more and seeing a lot more of the players, you're going, whoa. And now people are going, well, you had this guy here. And I go, yep, yep, yep. I talked to agents. And I said, yep. And I should have never done that list early because it wasn't fair. It was like, number one, it was, it was, you, you know, when you hand in a, a, a paper right. in, uh, in university and you go, okay, it's it, like, I have confidence in it. And then the grade comes back and it's a C minus because basically the professor says, you know, this is pretty much incomplete. That was my Craigslist at the outset. I should have never done it. I should have <laughs> recognized that it could only be incomplete. But now as you get more information, like I watched Slovakia play twice. Now, I've watched Slavkovsky. I've, wa I've mm -hmm. watched Major. I've watched Nemitz, the defenseman. Right? Mm -hmm. I get a chance to watch those two guys, that, that, those players, two times. I only got them two times. I got them in, in really good games against the USA and against Sweden. But I can tell you, based on what I've seen previously, and now getting two looks at them here, like my confidence level goes up a, a little bit higher in terms of assessing them. And that's what that's what you need to do. And that's where this draft. You know, could have some could have some real swings. It's also where teams, where they have intel and they have information, can feel even more confident about drafting a player and going. We really like this player. We think this player could really develop and move ahead. Because, and sometimes that's just luck. Sometimes that's just because you have people in places that have seen the player a little bit more that that help you with that confidence level. Craig, I, I, I want to ask you, because I know last year really was impacted. The OHL didn't even play. Uh, I know the Quebec League this year is what shut down till I think, of the 14th of this month, this month being January. Um, but I guess based on how you've, you answered the last question, that I don't know what normal is ever going to look like again, yet has this been a much um, easier process for you to to really look and scout as opposed to last year? Uh, I don't know if easier is. It's different art. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I think you have to, like all of us in all walks of life and in all different areas, we've had to adapt. We've had to right. do, uh, we've had to find ways, you know, look, think about everybody doing Zoom calls, like Zoom meetings, Zoom interview, like, you know, right. that, that, that became a necessity. And so it's not so much about saying, Oh geez, I wish it was different. It's about okay, we wish it was different, but it's but but we have to deal with this landscape in front of us right now. And I think that that's what's really important with respect to trying to maximize uh, your abilities and maximize your time. Because if you if you keep saying, oh geez, you know, I, I was hoping to see uh, Brad Lambert, I was hoping to see Slavkowski, I was hoping to see those guys five or six times. Well, you didn't. So what did you get out of the out of the times you did see them? And I think that's that's the approach you have to go with. It it can't be about better or worse or thing. You got to just say, here's what because everybody's dealing with it. You right. don't think Brad Lambert didn't want to play a couple more games? You don't think Uri Slavkowski didn't want to play a few more games? They all Shane Wright wanted to play more games. They all wanted to play more games. Logan Cooley wanted to play more games. They didn't get that opportunity, which goes into another thing. And I I tell players this all the time and I and, and scouting over the years when you know with stuff every time you go to a game make sure that you are going in with the with the attitude and the approach hey I might not see this player again for a long time and same with the player you know you're not going to be your best every game 
but you know what? It, it, give the best account of yourself that game, that day. Mm-hmm. If you're, I always say to players, yeah, you might only be feeling 80%. That's okay. Give 100% of your 80%. Don't give 50% of your 80% because you're at 80%. If it's only 80%, give me your best 100%. Same thing with scouting. When I look at the the draft class then coming up, uh, I, I would imagine that as we get closer to the draft, which I believe is still in, in June this, uh, in 2022, um, that uh, your, how different do you project your list being? Or, um, you know, I have your November list here and I'm looking at it. Uh, uh, does, is your top 10, do you think, yeah, that's probably, those guys are probably slotted correctly, but everything else is going to change, or could this just be a real shakeup? Oh, I think there's going to be some some some, some changes. I, I, I <laughs> in fact, I already know I'm, I'm coming. I'll have a list here in January. There, there, there's absolutely going to be changes uh, because there has to be. Because right. number one, you've had a chance to see more players, right? You've you've had a chance to see uh, uh, other players more. So, again, when I talk about building up the dossier on the players, it's the same thing with your list, okay? Like, I always go back to Jack Quinn, who was the eighth overall pick to the, to the Sabres in, in 2020. Like, I started off in September. I knew him from the year before. I knew him. I, like, you watch him. Okay, right. this is a guy to keep an eye on. But he wasn't a top-level kid. You watch him in October. You go, oh, geez, this guy. You start, you go back, you watch. By the time I got to the end of January, I'm going, this kid's a really good player. By the time we got into, I remember right before the pause, uh, the stoppage of the OHL, I, I saw Jack play three games because I because I really wanted to zero in because I really felt that he was a guy. And by the end of it, he was clearly in the top ten for me. And then he goes eighth overall to the Buffalo Sabers, playing very well in the American Hockey League. And so, to me, you have to be open minded. You can't get, I, 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 you know, one of the hard things and difficult things is I understand when the players and the agents look at the list, they go, why don't you have this guy higher and everything? And I always try to remind them, hey, listen, that's just that day. That doesn't mean I'm right. That doesn't mean I'm wrong either. It just means that's a snapshot at that point in time. I'm going to continue to evaluate. I value the feedback. I value the input from others. And then I'm going to go and, and, and do the work to try to hear what other people are saying so that I can be as accurate as possible. And, and that's what I'm trying to be. And, and, but, but I understand when a player, you know, says, geez, I'm better than that. I can't believe Craig would do like has me there. The agent, I get it. But at the same time, it's just a snapshot in time. It, it doesn't mean that's what you are ne- necessarily are. And it certainly doesn't mean that's necessarily what you're going to be on either side of the equation. I want to, uh, uh, you know, every time I talk to you, you, you kind of blow me away with your analysis at times. I sit here and I end up thinking, and uh, and then I realize, oh my gosh, Craig's done. I got to ask him another question here. <laughs> uh, 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 but I, I wanted to go back to Team Canada uh, from Red Wing fan perspective because I've I've been asked a couple of questions about two specific players that were on Team Canada's junior. Uh, uh, team, uh, world, uh, the world junior roster uh, for the tournament that was just canceled. One of them is Sebastian Cosa, who Red Wing fans are really eager to see in the red and white. 
I've talked to him on a number of occasions. I he's, he seems like a really first of all a really great great kid. Really enjoyed the, talking to him and extremely confident. Yet I was reading things that people were saying, "When's he going to get in for Team Canada?" I thought he was going to be their number one goalie. Could you give us a maybe what was going on or what the thought process was uh, regarding Sebastian Cosa and Team Canada? Like, so, so here's what ends up happening. You come into Hockey Canada, identified three goaltenders that they thought they were their three best goaltenders. And, you know, so now you're going to work, uh, the, the goaltending coach was Olivier Michaud. Now you're going to work with Olivier Michaud. And now, you, you know, you're going into tournament play. You, ultimately, you're trying to get to the gold medal game, which means you're playing seven games. And it doesn't mean that who you start with is necessarily who you're going to end up with. But there's this constant evaluation through practice, through, through, through uh, you know, game situations in practice to try to understand who, who gives you the best chance, you know, based on not only, you know, what they're capable of doing today, but also an understanding what the challenges are going to be. The World Junior Tournament is not about potential. Mm-hmm. It's not about who was the highest drafted player. It's not about who's going to be the best player. I think Sebastian Kosa is going to be an excellent NHL goaltender. I've compared him to Jacob Markstrom with the Calgary Flames. I think he's got all of that potential. But, you know, you come into a tournament and, and you got there. Dylan Grand is a good goaltender. And Brett Brochu is a good goaltender. Sebastian Kosa is a good goaltender. Last year... Nobody knew who Devin Levi was. They didn't mm-hmm. really. And he, he took the reins from day one. And people didn't. And, and a lot of times, you know, you know about Sebastian. You know he was a high for a mid-first-round draft pick, a real promising player. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he's the guy that, that, that you know, is, it, it is going to be the starter here. It doesn't mean he's not going to be. But I, 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 what I would say is there was no reason to worry about Sebastian Kosa. This is just where he – and keep in mind, he had never played uh, for Hockey Canada at any international event. So, you know, you have other, you, you have Brett Rochu who was in the camp last year. You have Dylan Grand, who's played U17, U18. He was a backup last year. So they have a little bit better knowledge of how he can handle the challenges. It doesn't mean they don't have confidence in Sebastian. It just means that at this point in time, this is the decision they're going to make. And, you know, but uh, I would say that anybody – uh, asking me about Sebastian Kosa, don't worry one bit. To me, he's got every quality to be a top-notch starting goaltender in the National Hockey League. Whether that's in 18 months, whether that's in six months, whether that's in two years, I don't know. But I think he's got everything you want in that number one goalie. Well, that's uh, that sounds good. Uh, I, you know, I, I really do look forward to uh, uh, being able to cover him uh, when he uh, when he becomes a Red Wing because I think he's. Uh, you know, he's bright, he's honest, and, uh, you know, he's, he's darn good between the pipes. Uh, I, another player uh, that I think Red Wing fans, I don't know if they were pleasantly surprised, but they've asked me a lot about him. Uh, he, last year, because uh, the uh, Kitchener Rangers and the OHL did not play, was signed to, to play for the Grand Rapids Griffins is Donovan uh, Sobrango, who uh, was a plus two at a goal in two games played before the uh, uh, the World Championship Junior World Championship was was turned over? This is a a guy. I, I I'm not sure. Sobrango seems to be maybe one of those players, and I think he was a third round draft pick. So he, it wasn't that he was a low pick, but could be one of those finds for the Red Wings. 
I, I agree with that. I, I think with Donovan, and I've watched Donovan play for a long time. You know, Donovan's an, like a real strong skater. You know, he, he, he's, he's competitive within his game, skating, taking the initiative, competing defensively, closing off space, and, you know, getting into the, getting into the uh, uh, disruption of opponents. He, he's really good at that. I really believe, and, and this is one of the, it's an unintended consequence of what happened with the pandemic, the cancellation of the OHL season, and Donovan going to Grand Rapids. So now you're, you're an 18-year-old player, okay, going and playing in the, in the America. What, what I find happens with, with the vast majority of young players is that they're playing junior and they're good. Now, now they want to show that they're more than they, than they were. They want to show that maybe they should have been drafted higher. And, 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 and you want that from a player. You want a player to be confident and to be assertive and go, I'll show you and I'm going to get better. But at the same time, you might start trying to push your game into areas that aren't your strengths. Mm-hmm. So, and you're trying to earn a contract. And I, and I think by Donovan going to the American Hockey League, he, he had to really settle in to being an 18-year-old defenseman in the American Hockey League and really understand this is my game. This is what I'm going to be really good at. And this is how I'm going to excel. So you, you get to a comfort level. This is my game. You're not into a you're not into approving grounds. And then the Red Wings sign him, right? And mm-hmm. so now because of last year, he goes back to the American Hockey League. He's managing that game for who he is and for what his skill set says he is. I think that Donovan can be a really good, dependable defenseman. I don't think he's going to put up a lot of points. But when I talk about disrupting opponents, getting to a puck, beating pressure, getting the puck moving out of your own zone, closing the gap in the neutral zone and those types of things. I think Donovan can be a really good player in that regard. They don't need offense from Donovan Sobranco. I'm not saying that they're, they're telling him don't give us offense, but I think that at this younger age, him settling into the player that he can be and will be, I think is a huge benefit to player and team. I can't begin to tell you, Art, how many times you, you, you spend time with a player – but your game's not going to be that in the NHL. We need you to develop your game in this direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, but 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 you know, the junior team's asking them to score. I get it, and 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 that's the balance you have to ha, ha, have to deal with. The other part of you know when you talk about players in junior and the potential for going to the American Hockey League at 19, which has created a lot of discussion and debate and disagreement. Donovan Sobrango is a good example of that. Wow. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I'm eager to see him. He has a great backstory, too. Uh, you know, the inspiration yep. that his mo- mother has been to him. So, you know, though, he's one of those guys that you just root for, regardless if he's a Red Wing or not. I mean, you know, that's it's you know, you, you, you hope the, the, the best for him. Uh, I, I, I know, Craig, I, I, I really wanted to talk about specifically asking about the Red Wings and the season they're having and and their two prize rookies that are kind of still oh. tearing it up in the NHL. But before that. Simon Edvinson, and I can remember during the draft where, you know, I thought Jesper Wallstead was going to be the sixth overall pick by the Red Wings, and it was kind of looking that way. But I was getting bombarded by texts as Simon Edvinson fell a little bit, saying, trust me, Edvinson's the guy. They're taking him at six. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. If he's there at six, lo and behold, he was there. The Red Wings drafted him. And, you know, again, I because I love to jump the gun here, uh, from all reports I've heard that, hey, he's a Red Wing next season. 
I mean, <laughs> trust me, he's doing essentially what Mo Sider did last year in the Swedish League. Edvinson is fast-tracked. He will be in Detroit. Again, jumping the gun, or is that a possibility? No, it's absolutely a possibility, because all you got to do is, is watch Simon play on the ice. And there's, a, there's an evenness to his high level of play. You don't get these dips. And, and, and with younger players, you, you, you find at times there's dips. And, you know, those dips can, can, can impact them in a negative way. You know, Dennis Chalowski, who is no longer with the Red Wings mm-hmm. and was a first-round draft pick, you know, and, and our, you go back and you think about, uh, about Dennis, who was a very good – he was a good prospect, skated well and everything. But he'd come in and, he, and then he'd have those big dips. And it just didn't seem he, he – first of all, he shouldn't have been in the NHL. He should – like, you know, that created a problem. Right. So when you watch Simon play in the SHL, you watch him play against his peers, there's no dips. So when I say evenness in his play at a high level, that's what he's got. And understanding he's a competitor. And, you know, one of the things that young defensemen have to learn in the NHL is there's one thing to talk about beating pressure and, 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 and making sure that you, 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 you can handle the challenges. Another big challenge for young defensemen is don't create problems. <laughs> and a lot of young defensemen, because because they've been so good and they've been able to get away by making mistakes, you don't get that leeway in the National Hockey League. You, the, the, the mistakes you make, the problems you create, end up becoming really significant. And it becomes a real big problem uh, for young defensemen. It's just part of the development curve. It's not a negative. It's just a part of the development. Simon is, is beyond that, in my view. You watch more at Cider play now, and you just go, wow, he, he's just steady. And you know this about Steve Eisenman and Patty Verbeek and Chris Draper and the Red Wings management group. If you're ready, they're not going to push you away. Look at right. Lucas Raymond. Look at right. Lucas Raymond. Uh, so this is, uh, this is one of the big things that happens, uh, you know, with, with understanding where a player is at. They're not going to preclude you from being able to play. But they're not going to push you along if you're not ready. Lucas Raymond has shown clearly he's ready as a 19-year-old, right? You mm-hmm. get a chance. Other players might not be ready, so they're not going to push them along. They're not trying to force square pegs into round holes. And I think that that is a, a testament, a testament to, to really strong uh, uh, management and leadership. But I think Simon Edmondson, uh, based on what I've seen, oh, boy, yeah, I would say uh, – Get excited, Red Wings fans. He'll be playing at Little Caesars Arena next year. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, I'm glad that you said it, Craig, because then I can keep saying it. If, 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 <laughs> I, I, endorsed by Craig Button here. Uh, with that said, there's one more player I want to talk to you about. Then we're then I promise, Red Wing fans, because every time Craig's on, they say, "I wish you guys would." You know, Craig knows the league, just not just not prospects. Ask him about our wings, and I say, "Okay, I promise." The next time he's on, and so. But with that said, a guy that had been injured, the Red Wings were really high on and if Joe Valeno did not drop to the Red Wings at 30 um, in his draft year he the Red Wings would have taken him as it turned out I think they drafted him 33rd but that's Jonathan Berggren who seems to be really starting to acclimate to the North American style and starting to be uh, a, a guy who could be in Detroit next year too um, as he uh, uh, you know hones his craft with the Grand Rapids Griffins. Well, well, learning, learning smaller ice hockey, 
you know, is, is part of development, right? Mm-hmm. You know, when you go back and you, and you think about what, what, what Jonathan in his, in his draft year, he was a really good player. So then what ends up happening, right? He jumps up, like he, he jumps up to a really, really good level of play in the SHL. And now people go, oh, what's wrong with Jonathan Berger? Well, there was nothing wrong with him. It's just, it's a big jump, right? right? You know, then he comes back, you, you know, last year. And, and, and again, there was different challenges in, in, in the uh, uh, in leagues all around the world. And he was a really good player for Sheleftia, right? And now you're going like, okay, so there's the progression, right? So now he comes over here to play in, in the American Hockey League, get acclimated. You got to do things in, in, in with, with less space. You got to do things quicker, faster, against bigger, stronger, quicker opponents. And what Jonathan Berggren always showed me in his draft year, and this is one of the things when, when I'm watching players, I try to look at players and go, things that are necessary to translate success to the NHL. Players that are drafted in, in any sport, they've been the best players. And I don't care if it's a first-round pick, second-round pick, third-round pick, fourth-round They've been the best players at the, at the levels below them. But they need to have qualities that translate to success in the NHL. So when I'm watching Jonathan Berggren play, I'm watching a player that's really comfortable, like in, in what I call body-on-body battles. And when you're in small, the, 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 the North American NHL rinks are smaller. You're, you're going to have to be comfortable in those body-on-body battles. You're going to have to be able to gain uh, advantages by, by, by having an extra step of quickness to get inside, to establish your position. I always thought Jonathan had that. But... Just because you think you have it, and just because you have that, but you still got to hold that. And that's mm-hmm. exactly what Jonathan Berggren's done. So all the things I saw in Jonathan just give me that, that, that belief and that understanding that what he had is now translating. Players have to do that, but him being in Grand Rapids, he, and you know what? He's a, he's a blocky, steady, sturdy player. So he can handle, you know, you know the tight area competition and the small area yeah. NHL, and I think that him being in Grand Rapids and doing what he's doing this year is something that's that, that's really significant for his development. But all he's showing is is that he can continue to move along that path. When we look at the Red Wings now, currently uh, they're uh, we're taping this or recording, I should say, on the sixth uh, uh, of January. Uh, later this evening, the Red Wings will play their 35th game of the season. They're currently fifth in the Atlantic Division, third in the wild card race, 16, 15, and three, 35 points. Their goal differential is something I'm, I know that they want to work on. They're minus 18, which is which is still kind of alarming. But with all that said, maybe, Craig, before we, we talk about Raymond and Sider, uh, an overall assessment of where you think the Red Wings are at this point. Well, I, I, I think you have to be very encouraged because, you know, before we get into Lucas and we get into Mole, you know, let's keep in mind that they're part of the success of this year's team, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know, you know, I, I, I look at different areas of, uh, uh, of, the, of the team. And, and, and to me, I, I look for functionality in a team. And I think that when you watch the Red Wings, you see functionality. You know, Dylan Larkin has more support around him, right? So, you know, that's going to give uh, him a, a, a lot greater opportunity. You know, Nick Letty, who was an acquisition. Mark Stahl, who, who has been a solid acquisition. You know, nobody talks about Philip Ronick, who, who's such right. a good player. Right. And, you know, like I, I start to chuckle when I think about, you know, teams saying, 
oh yeah, like or I see reports about oh you should inquire about Philip Ronan. Like really, he's got a, he's got a really good contract, and and you you're, you're now going to go just trade this really good young player that that's so productive. So, but when you get more good players around your your youth, your talented players, you, you're going to have a chance to have success. I love the fact, and 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 you know, I I, I compare it a little bit to what Joe Sakic did with Jared Bednar in Colorado. Jared Bednar came into a terrible situation, a terrible situation that Patrick Waugh left there. Just awful what Patrick Waugh did in, in Colorado. And Jared Bednar came in, they had an awful season. But Joe Sackick said, wait a second here. How can I evaluate the coach when we didn't have a functioning team? We didn't have a team that was good enough. We didn't have enough talent. And Steve Eisenman's done the same thing with Jeff Blaschel. He says, how can I evaluate him on his coaching when the team hasn't had the support? It hasn't had the the players that can give our other young players what they need. And I think that Jeff Blaschel has shown, when I talk about how a team functions, he's shown that he, he, he can have a team function. There's no perfect teams in the NHL, and you're always looking to improve in different areas, whether that be in the way you play, whether it be from a management point of view, what type of players do we need to give us a little bit of a push. But those are all the things you're trying to do. So when I see a team functioning like the Detroit Red Wings, coaching it's it, it's it, it's more support for other players and, and and they are and like i mean even when you think about uh yeah you, you think about lucas raymond and yeah you, you, sam gagne who, who 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 adds something to the team he right, had right. like is sam a prolific offensive but he adds something to the team mark stall adds something to the team nick letty adds something to the team and that takes pressure off of the players to the field that like, oh, I got to do more. I got to do more of this. I got to do more of that. It also helps ease in Lucas Raymond and more excited. When you when you look at the Red Wings and, uh, uh, you know, I can remember uh, before the draft and, you know, Red Wing fans were steamed that they fell to fourth when uh, – uh, when they thought that, you know, geez, we, we had the best chance at number one and they were looking at it. And I can remember talking to a few people around the league that were plugged in and they said, okay, maybe they're not going to get, uh, you know, Byfield or Stutzla or, uh, you know, Lafreniere, but the guy that they really like, that they're really high on, and they wouldn't really mind seeing him drop to four is Lucas Raymond. Now, I remember Raymond coming to the summer showcase in Plymouth, uh, th their draft year, where Lafreniere and Lucas Raymond were considered to be the two top prospects. That every and, and Raymond got hurt and was dropping and all that. But I do remember people telling me that, look, Lucas Raymond's a really good player, even though the fan base here in Detroit was very disappointed because of they, he, they dropped to four when they were all hoping they would be number one. But honest to gosh, I mean, it looks like Lucas Raymond uh, is, uh, is a godsend. I know I'm overstating it, but uh, Craig, I, I would imagine you're not surprised. Maybe his age might be a little bit surprising at 19, as we've talked about that he is able to do the things that he's able to do. He's precocious, though. He's always been a player that's played beyond uh, his age. Like he, he, he's played up levels. He, he, he's, he's performed at a high level playing up an age group or two. And I think that, you know, stepping into the NHL this year where you're 19 years old and you're playing against the best players in the world that have been doing it for a long time speaks exactly to that. So I'm going to ask you a question, Art. Okay. Here's the question. 
And this is, this is, I talk about the draft all the time. You got to evaluate all the time, right? Would the Detroit Red Wings trade Lucas Raymond for Alexi Lafreniere right now? No. And, and let me tell you, the New York Rangers would trade Alexi Lafreniere for Lucas Raymond in a second. Now, that's, I'm not trying to jump on Alexi Lafreniere. Right. Okay, I'm not. That's not about what I'm doing here. The point is, is that we, we get into drafts, and I'm as guilty as anybody, and we start looking and go, well, that guy's the best player. And, and, and considering other players. And years ago, I would get asked, you know, when I was in Dallas and we were picking in the latter part of the first round, and people would ask, well, you know, who are the top 10? I said, you better go ask people that are watching the top 10 players because those aren't the players I'm watching. So, <laughs> you know, and this is a big part of it because you don't. You're zeroing in. You only have so many games and so many weekends to watch the prospects, and you better know the group that you might be drafting and, and considering drafting. And so, you know, when, you, when, when, when you're picking, and so the Red Wings are looking and they're going, okay, we know, okay, right now we're going to be we're going to have the best odds to pick first overall, but we could drop three. So now what you can do is, is you can zero in. Let, let's just say you're going to zero in on four players that are in your top four, right? And you just maybe it's five, maybe it's six. But when you just zero in and say we have to know these five, six players, right? Now you can sit down and go, okay, well we think Lafreniere is going one. And we think Byfield will go two. Okay, so who could be there at four, right? And mm -hmm. you have to make the decision at one, right? You have to be able to do that as, as well. But what you can't do, what you can't do is just think, oh, I'm just going to take a player and whoever's left there. You got to know the players. And again, I, like you, you, you go back and you evaluate. Let's go back to the 1983 NHL draft. Jim Devilano. Hall of Famer, you know, obviously a big part of the Red Wings' uh, history and success. Right. I mean, he said to me, he goes, well, we knew Brian Lawton was going one. We knew Brian Lawton was going one because that's just the way it was headed. You know, he'll tell you that he really liked Sylvain Turgeon. He thought Sylvain Turgeon was a really good player. He goes two. So now the Red Wings are picking four, and they're going, well, maybe we can get Pat LaFontaine. But when they couldn't get Pat LaFontaine, they knew who their next guy was. Right? Right, right. So, like so, so maybe if they're picking two, they take Turgeon. That's okay. And this is why you always have to evaluate after the fact. Lucas Raymond, I mean, has been a, a very talented player for a very long time. And uh, I, I think we can always raise an eyebrow and say, are we surprised that he's doing as well as he is right now? Uh, you know, as a 19-year-old? Yeah. But when we really take a step back, we shouldn't be surprised when good young players who have been advanced in their play and advanced in their developments uh, perform because that's what makes them so good. And that's what makes them so coveted. I remember being in Vancouver when Steve drafted Mo Sider at number six overall. And, you know, I, I was in the arena and then I had to run down because, you know, obviously he's going to be available to the media shortly. And uh, I remember the, uh, uh, one of the um, uh, guards or ushers there says, I can't believe it. Who is this guy? And I said, you know what? I'm really not surprised. And I know I've told this story many, many times, but you know, I really start looking at the draft in, in this case would have been, I guess, September of 2018 for the 2019 draft. 
and most cider, and we talked about him uh, a, a little bit back then too, Craig, was he seemed to be the guy each month when they would reassess was always moving up the list. And I think by the time uh, the draft came around, he was like in the top 15 or very, very close. And so I didn't think it was, and I've actually told Steve this, I don't know if he believes me, I didn't think it was much of a stretch to draft him at number six, considering he was on this meteoric rise, it seemed like, uh, in his draft year. Yet I have to say, uh, I think he should be rookie of the year. At 20 years old, the way he plays defense, and he seems to get better every, every game, uh, I think it's phenomenal to watch him play hockey. I almost think, and I'm, you know, I, I, I I'm up to uh, hyperbole and overstating and get way too enthusiastic and worked up. But I, I think that he could be the Red Wings' best player in a couple of years. Although everyone says don't sleep on Edvinson, but Mo Sider, uh, surprise or is German hockey uh, really going to make its mark here very soon? Well, one of the big things, Art, is keeping in mind that Steve was with the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, and then he was named the general manager of the Detroit Red Wings. So just think about Steve, who's very astute, very involved, a really a really strong methodology to evaluating players at the amateur level and the pro level. But, you know, you're looking at Tampa Bay, and now you're coming into, a, into an organization that has the sixth overall pick. You know, it changes things. But, you know, the Red Wings do a very thorough job of scouting and evaluating over a period of time. Steve had the benefit of watching Mo Sider at the World Championships, you know, playing as, as an 18-year-old and, 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 and playing like a really regular role. You know, playing in Mannheim that year, he, he, he didn't have the puck play uh, opportunities, the power play opportunities. But, it, but if you've done your work and you go back in time, you go, hey, he's had those opportunities. You want to see them to build your confidence, but a scouting staff works by understanding, here's what we know, and here's how we think we can project. So you, you get that opportunity, and you're always trying to look at a range. You know, what could a player be, you know, in terms of, you know, we think he can be this, but at the very least, he can be this, and that's all good. I know this. There was a lot of teams that were, that were prepared to take most cider a lot higher than, than, than what projections were. Right. And I know this. I want to scratch out my eyeballs when I hear, oh, he went off the board. Whose board? Your board? <laughs> Your board doesn't matter. The only board that mattered was the Detroit Red Wings board. And they decided that at sixth overall, most cider was their guy. I'm a huge believer. Take the guy you believe in. Take the guy you want. And damn the torpedoes. And I can guarantee you this. Not from Steve Eisenman or anybody in the Red Wings. But there was a lot of talk about perhaps teams moving around, trading up, moving back to see about maximizing a pick. And Steve Eisenman recognized, I'm taking the guy that I want right here, right now. I'm not messing with it. And they got a good one. They got a real good one in Mo Sider. And I talked earlier about Simon Edmondson. Edmondson and Sider on the blue line for the next dozen years or so. Uh, I'll take my chances. Well, yeah, I... I... You know, I will too. I mean, the thing that I have found, and I've seen him play, obviously, every game for the Red Wings this year, whether in person or, or on television, because I'm not traveling, um, is that uh, I, I, look at, I look at him and is the calmness and how he hangs on to the puck. And if there isn't a play, instead of trying to force something, he kind of skates around and doubles back and surveys the situation again 
and almost 10 out of 10 times he seems to make the right decision which for someone who is 20 years old is almost uncanny Craig I, I you know I, I could go on and on and on about him but I am completely impressed by his I guess high hockey IQ is what I'm trying to say so so we go back we, we, we talked a little bit earlier about Donovan Sobrango and about understanding what your game is, right? And how the benefits of going to the American Hockey League at 18, he can settle into that game. Well, a similar thing applies to Mo Sider because when you're 17 years old playing in the, in the German elite league, the DEL, you know, you, you, you got to understand your game. You got to understand what you might not be able to, to get away with that you could at, 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 at lower levels. And, that's a benefit. So you're a smart player. You're also now going through the experience of applying, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the scenarios and the situations. And now you can be settled because you've learned how to be settled because it was necessary for you to be settled. So now you go, you start making the step, you go DL, you go and play games in the American hockey league, you go to Rogla and you play in the, uh, in the SHL, right? And then you come back here to the NHL, and now you look at a player, and as you describe them, you got a real settled, calm, intelligent player that is only going to get better, just like he has shown in his rookie year. And I will say this when you ask me about rookies. You know, right now, I would say, if I had to pick the three finalists for rookie of the year right now, it's the two Red Wings, Sider and Raymond, and Trevor Zegras in, in Anaheim. Right, there's no doubt. I mean... Uh... I've always been a big uh, a Zegras fan, is so much so that he's on my fantasy team. And, uh, uh, you know, he has uh, uh, really been on a tear lately. Unfortunately, he's, I think he's still in COVID protocol, but should be uh, out of that hopefully soon. Uh, and I, I, I would have loved to see uh, him play against the Red Wings uh, tonight, but I don't know what his status will be. Uh, but with all that said, and I guess my determining factor is we're talking about two very high-end forwards in Raymond and Zegras, but Sider being able to do it on the blue line, to me, I find amazing, or maybe I should just get used to it, that this league is getting younger, and young kids are going to come into this league and have immediate impact. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a little bit more advanced. They are. They, they, they have a little bit more of the technical training. You know, NHL teams are getting more involved. They're you know, with, with the development of the players, once they draft them, you know, working with them on a regular basis, there's, there's more personnel doing that. And, you know, you know, I'm, I'm at the world junior tournament. I, 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 I see Sean Horkoff and, you know, or maybe it wasn't at the world junior tournament. I saw him. I, I might've seen him at, at, at a junior game prior to that. Uh, no, I saw him at the Canadian camp. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the, the, the amount of investment, not, not just in terms of dollars, but in terms of uh, people power and people going and, and, the, and the people involved in development, working with the young players, helps the players understand, number one, you know, you know hey, listen, here, here's what we're going to help you with. You're going to go apply it, right? But it also helps them in real-time application, you know, get ready for the NHL. And that's why we're seeing, in my view, so many uh, young players not just play, play well right it, it, it is it is pretty amazing you know having the center ice package uh, allows me to to watch your fine work uh, on TSN and uh, uh, I, I am amazed at the high level 
high-end level talent uh, of some of these youngsters that are playing in the NHL. Uh, with all that said, I wanted to ask you, the Red Wings now are third in the wild card. A lot of teams have games at hands because uh, because of COVID and some guy, and even the Red Wings were put on pause this year, didn't miss many games. Uh, but I'm kind of curious. I don't think anybody, even the most diehard Red Wing fans, expected them to make the playoffs this year. Do you think they're on the cuffs, Craig, or do you think that this could still be more of a, a rebuild and just kind of let it play itself out and see where they fall? Well, you, you know what? Like, we can all start at the beginning of the season and look at a team and go, oh, they're going to make the playoffs or they're not going to make the playoffs or they're, they're going to be in a dogfight for the playoffs. All I know is, is that the Red Wings find themselves in a really good place. They find themselves in a, in a place where they've been competitive. They, I, I talked about uh, a, a team functioning at a, at a really good level. And now, as you move into the, the new year, uh, and, and certainly there's been some different challenges with, uh, with, uh, with the pandemic, but at the same time, you, you're playing meaningful games. You're playing games that matter. You're playing games that test you. You're playing games that build uh, your, your, your individual uh, talents and, and, and your team's talents. And, and, and that's so beneficial on so many different fronts. You know, the, 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 the younger players getting that experience, players like Dylan Larkin understanding, hey, this is what the future looks like. Jeff Blaschel having to make adjustments and, and, and giving his team the best chance to win. Steve Eiserman and, and the management group being able to say, hey, listen, this player is pretty good. Like, you know, here's where we can, you know, we, we can be confident. Okay, this is an area where we may have to address. There's, there, there's only positives in this. And whether they end up uh, making the playoffs or whether they fall short a little bit, everything that the Red Wings are experiencing right now is a positive at every single level. Most importantly, and, and, and I say this, maybe most is not the right uh, word to use, but just as importantly will be a better way to frame it is the, everybody's belief in the Red Wings, the fans' belief, you know, the stakeholders that are really going, wow, this is a team to get behind. Isn't that something that's special as well? And I think it's really important. Right, it is, and you can tell by just the crowd reaction. I mean, their record, even though they dropped a couple, but they, you know, they got better against San Jose the other night, uh, a couple in a row at home, uh, is the crowds have been phenomenal. And the Red Wings have commented on that from Blaschel all the way down to all the players, just how uh, the support has been overwhelmingly uh, significant and really has had a positive impact on them. With that said, we a uh, couple of, a little bit of breaking news here. Trevor Zegras has been cleared to play, but will not play tonight against the Red Wings. So uh, uh, that, that's too bad, but uh, uh, would have liked to have seen him uh, – uh, play against uh, uh, Lucas Raymond and Mo Sider because I couldn't agree with you more. They are the, the top three rookies in the league thus far. But I wanted to ask you about a, a, a little bit more breaking news. Uh, Nikita Kucherov is going to make his debut against the Flames after a 32-game absence, which would only make, you know, the rich get richer, so to speak. <laughs> but, but with that said, Tuka Rass signs an AHL PTO professional tryout with uh, with Providence, the Boston Bruins AHL affiliate. Uh, I guess that's no surprise. And the reason I'm bringing this up, Craig, is because Boston's one point ahead, although they have games at hand for that final playoff spot for the wild card spot. But this is actually no surprise. It has been rumored that Rask was 
going to come back in January. I know he had, I believe it was hip surgery, and he was on a pro prolonged uh, uh, rehab. But, uh, uh, again, I just said the rich getting richer about the uh, about uh, Kucherov coming back to Tampa. But uh, uh, although goaltending has not been that big of an issue, I'll, I'll say that with the Bruins right now with uh, Swayman and Allmark, but is Rask the answer for the Bruins, and should that be a team that we should really start paying attention to? Well, we know how good Tuka Rask has been. And I, I, I think the good news for the Boston Bruins is th they have a terrific rookie goaltender in Jeremy Swayman, mm -hmm. right? I, 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 I mean, teams may want to phone about Jeremy Swayman. I, I don't, I think your chances of getting Jeremy Swayman are, are slim and none, unless you're going to really pay a significant price. But you know, you watch what Linus Olmark has done in, in Boston. I mean, he, he's got term on his contract. Right. So, but, but, but is that, we look at the goaltending market, does that now open up uh, a possibility for a trade there? Because Tuca has made it pretty clear. He, he's playing in Boston or nowhere. He's been, a, he's been a strong goaltender for the Bruins. The Bruins are not interested in not making the playoffs. And you start to look at it and you start to think, does Tuca give them a better chance of, of competing for the playoffs? I would say yes. Uh, you know, the, the, the opportunity uh, to see him go play in Providence, recover from the surgery, you know, has put the Bruins in a really good spot. But because they're in a good spot now, I think that, uh, you know, it really, really makes them uh, 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 the really, uh, like it really makes uh, the playoffs uh, a, a situation for the Bruins uh, that, that, that making them is imperative. I, I think it's as simple as that. But it also opens up some possibilities for some other for some other trades. Right. Well, you know, you look at it. I mean, uh, Allmark would have to clear waivers. Swayman would not yet. I I mean, I you know, I guess it's uh, maybe it's a good decision to make if you're the Bruins. You know, you have three top quality goaltenders, and one you can actually put him down to Providence and, you know, he can, he can play there and, and see how he does. But because you're right, they signed Allmark to a, uh, uh, to a long-term deal. Uh, I, I want to ask you uh, about, and this is the final question with the Olympics being canceled. And, you know, I, I'm almost thinking this and uh, you know, I, I wasn't going to ask you about the Edmonton Oilers, but they've lost five straight 11 out of 13 uh, and it, it, it seems from everything I've read that maybe Kenny Holland is going to look for a goaltender. Should he look no further than Boston and maybe try to work out a deal with them? Do you think Edmonton is going to have to do something uh, for a team that started off so well uh, to now be uh, losers of 11 of 13? I'm sure that's got to be. I know it's preying upon Kenny and Dave Tippett calling out uh, Amico Kassin in his goaltender. Uh, is Edmonton a mess, or do you think it'll settle itself down? I don't think Edmonton's a mess. So, so, so this is this is what I this is what I've been doing here and talking about the Edmonton Oilers. January first, twenty nineteen, the St. Louis Blues. They played less games, but they were sitting in last place in the National Hockey League. Right. What was everybody saying about the St. Louis Blues? Ah, uh, probably Craig Berube's no good as a coach. The team's not very good. Doug Armstrong needs to make a trade. Right. Right. You know what the problem was? The goaltending was terrible. Jordan Bennington comes in. Oh, guess who got crowned Stanley Cup champions in 2019? The St. Louis Blues. Because they fixed their problem. The Edmonton Oilers have a massive problem. And it's goaltending. And the, 
you know, Dave Tippett's talked about it recently. You know what? Their five-on-five play has been good. You know, they've had their chances. Yeah, they're going to run into stretches where you don't score as much. You know, they've been a pretty good team. Their goaltending has submarined them. Submarine them. And I'll tell you what, the only thing that should be on Ken Holland's mind, in my view, is improving the goaltenders. It's not about, it's not about can they play? They're, they're not very good. And if you want to continue on uh, walking this goaltending rickety bridge, the bridge is, good, the bridge is already in, in collapsed form. Right, it, right. And, and it's going to fall apart. So that's why I bring up the Boston Bruins. Right. Like, yeah, I don't, like, I mean, would I be phoning on Jeremy Swayman in a second? Would I be phoning on Linus Allmark? I'd find out what the price is. But if Ken Holland doesn't address the goaltending by adding a good goaltender, guess what? You're just you're just sitting there in a hope and pray mode. And hope and pray mode isn't a plan. No, I, okay, I, I shouldn't do this to you. I shouldn't put you on the spot like this, Craig, but you know, you're such a, a good buddy of mine, and I, and I really do respect you. Do you see, perhaps, with the way uh, Alex Nadalkovich is performing in net for the Red Wings, and it looks like he's the clear number one, do you think that uh, Thomas Grice, who's in the last year of his contract, could can be calling Steve about maybe uh, uh, Thomas Grice, who actually has uh, uh, held up pretty well here in Detroit? Well, yeah, so, so there's a goaltender that played very well before he got to the uh, Detroit Red Wings, right? right. He, he's come from a place that, you know, where he's performed well. So, again, it comes back to price. I, I mentioned, you know, we talked about Tuka Rass, so now I talked about Boston. So now you're looking there and you're saying, okay, could, could he be uh, an answer at, 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 at a less steep price? And I don't know what the prices are. That's right. not my thing to speculate. But, yeah. I mean, I like the New York Islanders. Uh, the New York Islanders have, have Ilya Sorokin and Semyon Varlamov. Is that a place where Steve, Steve uh, where Ken Holland could be looking? Yeah. My point is, he, he's got to be exploring those options. Right. And there might be other options. Like, I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury. What, what will it cost to get Marc-Andre Fleury? That's where I think he's got to be exploring because what he has now with a team with, with – with McDavid and, and Drysaddle, and I, I think I think they did some really good things in the off season to to balance out their team, to give their team strength in some different areas. But the goaltending it, it, it's it, it's at the bottom of the league. It's it's one of the worst in the league. Right. And if you think you're going anywhere with that type of goaltending, again, you're not. And so those are the areas that the Ken and I'm not saying anything Ken Holland doesn't know. Right. Those are the areas that Ken Holland's going to have to explore, and he's going to have to explore them hard. Right, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out because obviously, you know, I think we're all familiar with Ken Holland, and if something needs to be done, uh, you know, he certainly will do it. Uh, quickly, the Olympics being canceled, I think disappointment for the league. I kind of understand what they had to do, especially with, with COVID and the impact that it's had this season on the league. But, you know, Owen Power maybe on Team Canada – uh, that how do you think the tournament's going to play out and how disappointed are you that the NHL stars are not going to be playing for their national teams at the Olympics? I was in Pyeongchang in 2018 and that was coming off of five consecutive Olympic winter games where we had the uh, best on best. And the Olympics is about the best athletes in the world competing, right. whether you're in snowboarding or skiing or bobsleigh or figure skating or hockey. And, you know, it's, you know, for, 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 for players to be able to represent their country 
at the Olympics, hey, it's a thrill. I get it. And for the players that represented their countries in 2018, it was a thrill. But it wasn't best on best. And uh, it's not going to be best on best this year. And that's, that, that's unfortunate that that's pandemic related. 2018 uh, was, was, was a different scenario. Right. But, you know, it's it, it, like the, the players want to test themselves. The players love best on best. They want to represent their countries. It's, you, you got a whole country behind your effort. And that's very different than having a city and a fan base behind your effort. Right. You know, to be able to wear your country's uh, colors and to uh, hear your team, your country's national anthem when you've won. These are special moments that don't come along very often for the players. And, you know, 25 years ago, you'd ask, you know, people would say, oh, yeah, well, the Olympics are more for the European players and the Stanley Cup is more for the North American right. players. That's not the case anymore. Everybody wants a chance to compete for an Olympic gold medal and everybody wants a chance to compete for a Stanley Cup. So there's profound disappointment all the way around, but it, it, it's not a best-on-best best tournament. And, I, you, you know, you, the players that are going to participate are going to give their best. But, you know, the, the knowing what we know from the five previous Olympics uh, from b- before 2018, it, it becomes pretty special. It becomes really, really... A, a unique spectacle every four years to watch best on best. And, you know, I was there in 2006 when Sweden won the gold medal. You know, Nick Lidstrom was part of that team. I, I sat next to Matt Sundin's brother in the gold medal match. And when they won, when they, when they, when, when they were the gold medalists, I mean, his brother, the other Swedish, they were, they had tears, tears of joy running down their face. And, you know, what it means, it's not, it, 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 it doesn't mean that it's not special to win a gold medal, but for the best players on the planet to be able to compete in that environment, you feel for their, for their missed opportunity. Right, yeah, I, I really do. I, my heart does go out to them, especially since they missed it uh, last time yeah. around. And now, Craig, this is, I keep saying final question, but this is it. If the World Junior Tournament would have happened, Canada was going to win that gold, right? I mean, they were so stacked. Well, let me just tell you this, okay, Art? So, yeah, they're always stacked, but there's good teams there. And the U.S. had a really good team, too. Don't make any mistake about it. And I'm always reminded, you you go into a tournament, and you watch, and you look on paper, and you go, okay, yeah, they look like the favorite. Okay, I'm going to pick them. And you make your comment. Last year in Edmonton, and I'd watched that whole group of 2001-born USA players at the National Team Development Program. Zegras, Boldy, Turcotte, Caulfield, Spencer Knight, Cam York. That was an unbelievable group of players. And it was after, I think it was after the quarterfinal game. I don't remember exactly, but we're all in the same hotel. And uh, I'm talking to Alex, and I think Spencer Knight was there, Alex Turcotte, and Cole Coffin, and Trevor Zegras comes in. Trevor says, so you don't think we can win? Because I'd pick Canada to win. <laughs> and, of course, as, the, as we get into the – it was after the quarterfinal. Well, now it's setting up, right? He goes, so you don't think we can win? And, you know, Trevor doesn't mind giving you a little poke here and there. And I kind of looked, and I'm thinking to myself, well, I said, they're pretty good. He goes, yeah, but you, you don't think we can win. And I said to him, I said, let me just go back in time. At the U18 tournament, to the, the 2001-born uh, 2018 tournament, 2019, okay, I said, Trevor, your 01 group, I never thought anybody could ever beat you guys. I, I, I would have bet the house on, on, on your team to never lose. 
And guess what? You lost in a shootout in the semifinal. I would have never, ever thought that. So do I think Canada can win? Yeah. Do, do, do I not think you can win? No, I think you guys could win. But right now, you know, I got to do it. And he kind of looks at me and goes, oh, okay. <laughs> right? And <laughs> but they won. And, and here was the beautiful thing that I loved. Like Trevor, it, like it's one thing to have ability, but he's got confidence in ability. And right. before the gold medal game, he said, well, let's see how Canada plays when, when they're behind because they haven't been behind in this tournament and they haven't faced adversity. Well, we found out. USA scored the first goal. They scored the second goal. Canada wasn't very successful playing from behind. So, you know, it's always a, it's always a good reminder. And I'll take you back to that 2019 U18 tournament to finish off here. Hat trick on home ice for Sweden by a young 17-year-old, Lucas Raymond. I remember. Including the overtime winner to win it for Sweden, their first ever U18 tournament. Yeah, yeah, I I remember watching that and thinking to myself, boy, he wouldn't look bad as a Red Wing. But if it was if it was Holtz would have done it, I would have said the same thing about him. You know, uh, whoever the star is, as I like it. You know, uh, to going back even years ago, Thomas Tatar came of age in that tournament. That was the you know when the Red Wings drafted him, I said, wow, they got themselves a really nice little player, and it was all based on what he was able to do in the World Junior Tournament. So. Uh, you know, you never know, and uh, I and I guess that's why I love talking to you so much, Craig, is because your perspective, you, you know, your level-headedness, your balance, you know, you make me come down to earth and really think it through instead of uh, the knee-jerk reactions that I usually go with. So, I, <laughs> <laughs> so I usually uh, I appreciate it, Craig. I mean, you took a lot of time out. We had some connection problems here, and. Uh, uh, you were patient, and I know you're really, really busy. For you to take this mo- amount of time out to spend it with uh, uh, here on the Red and White Authority with me and Red Wing fans and actually hockey fans all over, I know they really appreciate your time, and I certainly do too. Well, Art, I have all the time in the world for you. It's always a, a pleasure for me to chat. Again, the next time we do this, we're going to have to put on the raw version when we talk about the Wolverines. Because yeah. the, the only time I'm not level-headed, I think, is when I watch the Wolverines <laughs> play football. And But again, I also do remind myself, I'm a fan. I'm, I'm not a coach. I don't have a football background. So, Craig, just shut up and don't be judging the, the people that are the experts. But uh, again, uh, I, I value the friendship. I value the kinship. And... I always have time and it does, I I never put a stopwatch on it. We always have time to continue on as we see fit. Well, thank you very much, Craig. It means a lot to me. You know, I I mean, it it really, really does. I mean, because you are, and I'm not saying it because you're my buddy and I've known you a long time and we both love Michigan football, but you are the very best at at what you do. And it's always a pleasure to, uh, to spend time with you and uh, we'll keep in touch and We'll have you back on again very, very soon. Thank you very much, Bill. Thanks, Art.